Right. Good morning, guys. You can be seated. So, uh, again, my name is Walter. I'm grateful that you guys would gather together to worship with us. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 21. Uh, as you can see on the screen, the, the title of this sermon is Weak Yet Strong. And uh, I recognize that those two words don't really work together, that uh, when you think of weakness, you certainly don't think of anything that strength. Uh, yet, uh, I would submit to you as we study the scriptures that uh, to be strong is to actually be weak. Now, uh, as we talk about this, we have to recognize that strength is something that's important to us, uh, just as, as people, that throughout history, uh, we've desired to be strong in many areas. Uh, even today, we desire these things. Uh, one, we've always wanted things like strong leaders, right? That throughout history, you've wanted someone who is uh, willing to fight for the better of your country. You've wanted someone who is able to lead you. You want someone who is strong in that role. We also want strong bank accounts, right? Um, you'd like to see a lot of numbers before that decimal place, right? Now, uh, with that in mind, uh, you want the comfort that comes from that. We want strong relationships that uh, for many of us, we've dreamed our lives of, of meeting that person we get to spend the rest of this earthly life with, that we get to uh, spend all of our time with, that we get to love and be loved by. We want strong relationships as in friendships. We want our children to adore us. We want grandchildren, if you have those, to love coming to your house, that we want strong relationships. Whatever you name, whatever you think of, we want a display of strength in those areas. Now, why? Why is it so important for us as people to have strength, to have this strength displayed in multiple areas? Well, ultimately, I would submit to you that these things give us power, that they give us control over certain things in our life, that uh, before the foundations of the earth, that these are things that we've desired. Now, uh, as we think about this, you know, we, we can use each of the examples for things that we want this power to protect us from. You know, you want strong leaders so that you don't have to fear. You want strong bank accounts to keep from worrying. You want strong relationships to keep from being lonely. That each of these areas, you want a display of strength to protect you from something else, to give you control over something else. Yeah, in each of these examples, these are all human definitions of strength. That these are things that you and I would define strength as. Yet, what if I were to tell you that the greatest display of strength we find in the Bible, yea, I, I say even in history, is not a moment of power, but of surrender. You see, what I'm pointing you to is the display of Jesus going to the cross. That in that moment, that we see the God of the universe hanging on the cross, an innocent man, displaying his power and his strength, not through a demonstration of the heavenly host coming down to pull him off and bind his wounds, but of surrendering all for you and I. That he hung upon that cross for the appointed time, three hours as we study the scripture, surrendering his life, giving it up so that he could pay for the debt of our sin. That in that moment, we saw this display of strength come not through power or might, but through surrender. You see, that changes our conversation, doesn't it? That we begin to think about things in the scriptures that describe strength. As we study the scriptures, strength's often decide, described in this way, as being poor in spirit, as being meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, even persecution is a sign of strength. 
You see, strength is not displayed, is not measured by the power that you have, but by the surrender that you've displayed. I want you to hear that. Strength is not measured by the power that you have, but by the surrender that you've displayed. You see, Paul is concerned with that type of strength here in these verses. That as we look at these next seven verses, that Paul is going to describe to us what real spiritual strength is. That it is not the strength we would define by flesh and blood as power or might, but that of surrendering to the God of the universe so that he may make his will known in our life. That I would submit to you that true strength is only going to be measured by how much we're willing to surrender to the God of the universe. With that in mind, as we begin to study these verses, let's begin in verse 14, if you would. Uh, I'll read these verses for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You see, Paul begins this, this section of Scripture with bowing his knees. You see, as we start in this passage, just as Paul praying something for us as the people of God through all generations, he is praying for these things. And he's not just beginning this by telling us a way to prayer. He's not telling us just to bow our knees, that rather he's actually focusing on our spiritual posture before the Lord. You see, this is an emphasis throughout the book of Ephesians, right? You even go back into chapter two. He begins chapter two with, you are dead in your trespasses of sins. Later in that same chapter, he says that you were raised from the dead and seated with Christ. Later on in the next chapter, verse one of chapter four, he says that you are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He tells us later on in chapter six to stand against the devil and his schemes. That he is concerned about our position and our posture before the Lord. And as Paul is saying, bowing my knees before the Lord, he is praying this, that we would see that strength begins with submission to the Father. That strength begins with submission to the Father. You see, as we study the scriptures and we think about where the story of God begins, it begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That the story of scripture, the story of our universe begins with that singular verse. That in that verse, God has established that he has authority over all. That he alone is the one who is in control. That he created the heavens and earth so that he could display his goodness and his glory to the entire universe. That as he created heavens and earth, he goes on through seven days of creation. And through that, he creates Adam and Eve, these, this man and woman whose purpose in life was to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people. Why? Not so that people could receive glory, but so that everywhere you look, you could look at this, this people created in the image of God and go, how great is our God? How incredible is he that he would send these people that he would create these people to worship and celebrate with him. But like many things we see in Scripture, uh, when people enter the equation, things tend to go wrong and sin enter the world. And Adam and Eve fell short of the standard that God has set. And ever since then, we've been striving to regain that relationship, that position before God, one where we have perfect relationship and communion. And we look for that in all areas of life. We've been trying to find it since that fateful day. And I'm here to tell you that the reality is that the only place we can find that relationship, that intimacy, is beginning with sacrificing, surrendering it all 
to God. It's submitting our lives before him. That try as you might, you will not find a relationship that will satisfy you, that will bring that intimacy in any other way but through that type of submission. And so Paul begins his prayer here with the reality that we must submit our lives to Christ to find real strength. Now he doesn't leave us there. In verse 16, he continues on with his prayer. Verse 16, it reads, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, uh, specifically, Paul prays for us to be strengthened internally through the Holy Spirit. Paul prays for us to be strengthened internally through the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at this, he's writing this in the midst of suffering, okay? Uh, Paul, uh, we actually see, many scholars believe that Paul was writing this from prison, all right. Paul experienced a lot of suffering in his life, uh, that he spent multiple times in prison, that you read his stories. He's in prison a lot. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by vipers. He's been whipped and beaten. Paul has experienced suffering in this life. Yet in the midst of the suffering, he is suggesting to us that when we suffer, we are displaying the wisdom and grace of God. It is through that spirit, the spirit that God has placed inside of us. You see, not a single person in this room has the strength to endure suffering. Not a single person in here has the ability to endure suffering. Now, you may say, Walter, you don't know what I've been through, right? Like, you don't know the things I've experienced. You don't know the heartbreak and pain I've seen. And I would submit to you that I know the reason you can't handle suffering is because when given a choice to escape your suffering, you choose peace and comfort. That you desire to escape and get out of suffering. Now that's okay because in the middle of our suffering, Paul recognizes that while we live in this world, we're going to experience suffering. And that is why God has sent his spirit to dwell inside of us. So that every moment, every day as we go through these difficulties, these trials and tribulations that we face, we are not alone. That in the midst of your pain and heartbreak, you are not alone. That that in and of itself should bring some measure of comfort to you. Now, as we look at the world and the suffering that's in it, the pain and the sorrow we experience, that this is a direct result of sin, that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. We have and we will continue to experience pain and sorrow in this world. In fact, God's word even points us to this truth through the book of Psalms. As we look at the book of Psalms, we see that about a third of the 150 Psalms in there are psalms of lament. Lament is a prayer that you pray in pain that leads to trust. Now, I would submit to you that I'm not a brilliant person, okay? My college GPA should indicate that to you. You can laugh, it's it's there, okay? We can show you the unofficial transcript later. But here's the thing that I know, that if God spends a large portion of the wisdom literature speaking about pain and sorrow, he might have something to display for us. He might be suggesting to us that as a result of our fallen nature, as a result of sin in this world, we are going to experience pain and heartbreak. That every person here has been personally victimized by pain and sorrow. We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. We have all had the sleepless nights and the early mornings of wondering, God, when am I going to escape this? Father, when will this be over? 
and in the midst of this suffering world, because the Spirit is with us, we don't have to mourn stoically. We don't have to just sit here and endure it. Rather, we cry out to God in the middle of our pain, trusting that he wills. Romans 8, 28 says that we know that these work together for those, the good of those that believe. That those who love God, all things will work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see, we know that there is an end in sight through these things. We know that there is an anchor within the middle of this storm, that we are held tight to the goodness of Christ. Now, Paul doesn't just pray for us to be strengthened here. He, he wants us to be strengthened according to the riches of God. Now, this is perhaps the key to understanding this entire passage, that if you miss this, you might as well go back to sleep. Like you don't, you're not gonna understand anything else here. You see, in this, in this passage, he's saying we want us to be strengthened according to the riches that God has displayed. So we're gonna give you an example of this. Let's imagine that I'm a billionaire. I am not, in case you're wondering. Uh, if you would like to make charitable contributions to my bank account, I will provide that information for you. But let's pretend for thought's sake that I'm a billionaire, okay? In this scenario, I'm a billionaire. If I give you $10, I have given to you out of my riches. If I give you $1 million, I've given to you in accordance to my riches. You see, the difference there is that in the first example, I've given you a portion. In the second example, I've given you a proportion of my riches. God, in granting his, his spirit, i.e. part of the Trinity to dwell inside of us, to go through this life, is God giving us an apportionment of his riches so that we may endure in this world. Some of y'all are asleep because you ain't happy about that. Here is the thing that I need you to hear. God has placed his spirit inside of us so that we may endure this world with joy and excitement, knowing that these sorrows, this pain and heartbreak that we are experiencing will one day end because Jesus has returned, ending sin and death and the reign of Satan on our world, and we will live life eternal with him. That if you're human, you are waiting eagerly for that day. You want to see this sin, this shame, this pain that you're enduring end. You'd be a fool to desire anything else. Now, Paul continues with this, that he doesn't just desire for us to be strengthened. He sees in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You see, Paul is praying for us to have a deeper experience with Christ. That in the midst of our suffering, that we would more know the intimacy and love of Christ in our life. In the midst of our suffering, we aren't content with just being strengthened. You see, Paul is asking for more than just strength, but he's asking for control of Christ. Christ controlling us in the midst of our life. You see, the key word to dwell on in this verse is the word dwell. The one that we must land on to understand this entire verse is dwell. Now, the context meaning here in the Greek means to settle down in a place and make a permanent residence there. Paul wants Christ not to just visit, but to make himself at home and rearrange the furniture. That he wants us to have a deeper experience with Christ. It's not a surface relationship, but an ever-deepening fellowship in the midst of our lives. 
Now, we see this being exemplified by the two words he uses here, rooted and grounded, right? Like those are two significant words for us to focus on, to understand what's happening. As we think about this, it's a perfect picture of what God is trying to do in our lives. You see, rooted, as we think about rooted, that leads us to think of things like plants, of trees, etc. If you look at a tree, a tree must get its roots deep down in the soil to have both nourishment and stability. That if you've seen a tree that has just been surface level, what happens when a storm comes through? It falls over. But when a tree anchors its roots deep down, not only does it receive nourishment, but it finds stability. We as followers of God must have our spiritual roots deep into the love of God. We've got to sink our roots down into the grace that God has shown us. Uh, John 15, verses 4 and 5 read, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we're called to sink our roots so deep into God that we can be sustained through this life and into eternity. That we must find ourselves rooted deeply in the things of God if we're gonna hold fast in this world. Now, the word grounded pushes us to think of things like buildings, right? As we think through this, a building must have a firm foundation if it's to endure the test of time, right? You maybe recall a parable about this, that Jesus wasn't just making this stuff up. You see, I've got a friend who's a pile driver, and that's someone who helps lay the foundation for construction projects. And he is always fond of saying about these big, tall buildings that you see. And he says this, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. Now, one, that's something that'll preach to you the rest of the day. And I know it's a construction sentiment, but the reality is we can't deny the truth of that statement. That if we are not anchoring ourselves in a firm foundation in this life, that is the love of Jesus Christ, we will not survive. We will not stand the test of time. You know, that story I referenced of uh, the two builders from Matthew chapter 7. There are two builders in this, and one of them builds his house on sand. The other builds his house on a solid rock. And this storm comes through, and it reveals the strength of their roots. One's house is gone, and the other's has endured the storm. My question for you is, how deep are your roots? How deep are your roots in Christ? How firm, how grounded are you in the love of Christ? Because I would submit to you that if you're saying it's not very deep on either one, then your relationship with him isn't very deep. And you should reevaluate that. That if indeed we are going to survive and thrive in this world, if we're going to endure suffering and hardship, it begins with anchoring ourselves in the love of God. Now, as we continue in verses 18 and 19, Paul has some things that he desires of us. Uh, Verses 18 and 19 read, I may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
You see, Paul is praying for us to grasp the fullest dimensions of Christ's love. Paul is praying for us to grasp the fullest dimension of Christ's love. Now, there is some tension here in this language that he is telling us that first we must comprehend, he prays that we might comprehend the greatness of God's love in verse 18. But in the very next verse, he says that this love of Christ, this knowledge of Christ surpasses all knowledge. Like we want to understand it, but also we can't fully understand it. There's a tension there to think through. If it surpasses all knowledge, how are we to grasp or know his love? Well, there are two answers I think we need to this question. There are two equally important questions. As we think about the answers here, first, though we cannot fully know the love of Christ by our knowledge, right? Like God is infinite, we are not. We are never going to fully know and experience the love of Christ by our earthly knowledge and wisdom. But that's okay because we can truly know this love that we can truly encounter the love of Christ. We experience the grace of God bringing repentance and change into our life. He draws us away from sin into righteousness. You may have experienced this love. You, You can look back on your life, and though you are not perfect, you are more like Christ today than you were back then. That if you're a follower of God, you look more like Jesus today than you did when you made a profession of faith. That that is God allowing you to more fully grasp him and his love, his knowledge. You see, the love of Christ that we know and experience at the beginning of the Christian life is the same love that we will know at the end. That though we cannot fully grasp all that God is, all that he may offer us, none of that matters because the amount that we can understand is enough to see us redeemed of our sins. The amount we can understand is enough to give us something to hold tight to in the midst of this life. Now, the second answer that we must consider is that we're to grow in our awareness of that love, specifically through the routine hardships, sufferings, and persecutions of life. You see, this is where the breadth and length and height and depth come into play. John Stott says this of this, this verse. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all of mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most depraved sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. That there wasn't a chorus of amens there, and so I want to repeat that again because this is the truth of the gospel. That it's broad enough to encompass all of mankind, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is deep enough to reach down to the most depraved sinner that there is no one who is too far from the grace of God that no matter where you are or what you have done, you can be redeemed by the good news of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost. That it is long enough to last for eternity. That the name of Jesus Christ will never fail us, will never forsake us. That as long as you draw breath and then even when you cease to draw breath, That name will anchor you for all of eternity. And then finally, it is high enough to exalt him to heaven. That the grace of God is sufficient to not only redeem you of your sins on this earth, but to exalt you into heaven, to bring you to be a part of the heavenly host. That when you draw your last breath here, that you will draw your next breath in eternity with Christ. 
That, that is the type of power that is found here in the love of the gospel. And when we think about the love, the knowledge of God in that lens, that means that every millisecond, every moment of pain, of suffering, of persecution, of sorrow, of whatever in this life is not wasted. If God's love is as those words, as these verses say, then in the midst of our suffering, we can find meaning in our suffering. That every moment of pain and sorrow is actually a gift from God to allow us to grow deeper in our love for him. Think about this with me. You see, when we are in our deepest, darkest moments is the place where we cry out most desperately for God to redeem us and rescue us, right? In those moments, that is when we cling tightest to the good news that he is not going to abandon us, that he is going to come back for us, that he is not going to forsake us, that he will provide hope and healing. That I would submit to you that in the midst of our suffering, we are able to draw closer to God because our suffering is a gift. Our suffering is a gift so that we may know more of the goodness of Christ to redeem and restore every single part of our life. It is by this truth that we're able to, as these verses say, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, Paul isn't finished with us here. Uh, In verses 20 and 21, he has a few more words for us as he closes his prayer for the people of God over all generations. This is what he says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory and honor in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul encourages us that the power of Christ is sufficient. Paul encourages us that the power of Christ in this life and the next is sufficient. You see, he ends his prayer here with these words of encouragement for believers throughout the ages. He points to the power of God in all that we could do, all that we could possibly imagine or dream of. God will move and do these things in a way to receive all glory and honor that he's worthy of. You see, these words are incredibly encouraging to us because not only are they true, but they're written in the midst of suffering. You see, Paul is not just writing this as someone who is living a good life. Paul's writing these from a dank, cold jail cell and being chained to the leg of a Roman guard. That he has no privacy, he has no company, that the guard's orders are to not say anything to him. That in fact, if Paul starts to say a little bit too much or gets a little uppity, he's to pop him with his sword once or twice. That Paul is there in this cold, dank place that he writes in, in his letters that I would like a blanket and some books. That is the type of life that Paul is living. He writes this in the midst of suffering, that Christ His power is sufficient. Paul has found hope through the love of Jesus that his eternal position before the Lord is secure. 
despite his earthly humbling. His eternal position before the Lord is secure despite his earthly situation. That means that for you and I, in the midst of our suffering and our pain, our hardship, that there is hope, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You see, this hope begins with faith, just as Paul began his prayer. This hope begins with faith that allows us to anchor our life on something. This faith is in Jesus Christ alone, our rock and our redeemer. He provides a way for us through the suffering that we are experiencing. I know that what I'm about to say is going to be incredibly difficult for some of you to hear. I, I know that as I say it, you're going to think you don't have a clue about my life, and that's okay. But I want you to know that it's okay to pray in the middle of your, your pain. I want you to know that it's okay to pray in the middle of your heartbreak and sorrow. You don't have to have the words. You can even be angry if you want. You can cry out to God, angry about the situation. You can cry out to God about the unfairness of this. You can cry out to God about your heartbreak and sorrow and how you wish it was different. And that's okay. But I would submit to you that it takes real faith to pray to God in the middle of your suffering. It takes a real faith that is anchored in the promise that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he has come and lived a perfect life so that you and I could be redeemed of our sins so that we could spend eternity with him, that that is the type of faith it takes to pray. You do not have a strong faith. You and I are weak when it comes to our faith, but the one that we have faith in is strong indeed. You see, belief in God creates challenging questions and struggles. And God's love expressed through prayer gives us an opportunity to reorient our hurting hearts towards what is true. You see, pain opens a door and shows us the path towards trust. And that trust is to be anchored in Jesus Christ. The reality is that pain is a part of life, right? That if you've lived, you have experienced pain. That as humans, we don't have to be taught to cry. We escape the womb crying. That the first thing you and I did on this earth was to cry and cry out for the situation that we were in. However, being a Christian means that someone will always be there in the midst of your pain to wipe away your tears. That though you cry, though you are in pain and experiencing heartbreak, there is indeed someone there who will hold you close. Someone who is there who will tell you it's going to be all right. Someone who is there who will hold you through the long sleepless nights and tell you it's going to be okay. And that those definitions of it's going to be all right, it'll be okay, are not found on this earth, but they are found in the things of Jesus Christ. We know that as God has created the heavens and earth, that he desired for us to have a relationship with him. That we know that when he created us, that he wants us to know him and to walk with him. That, that the pain we experience in this life is not intended to be this way. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. We are separated from God by our sin and shame. And God is not content to leave it that way. That as we've talked through today, that he has sent his son Jesus to come and to seek and save the lost. 
Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. He came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, that he walked this earth and went to the cross, an innocent man, having committed no sin, having done everything in perfect accordance to God's will. And he went to the cross to bear the weight of our sin and shame. That he went to the cross, an innocent man, to die for you and I. And that as he hung upon that cross for the appointed time, he at any point had the power and authority to call down the heavenly host to destroy the Roman Empire, to pull him off the cross, to bind his wounds, and to anoint him as a king again and place him back on the throne. Yet, those were not where his thoughts were. You see, his thoughts were never on escape, but rather his thoughts were focused on you and I. That as he hung upon that cross, struggling to breathe, pulling himself up so that he may take another breath, he was counting down the time until he would give his life up. Two and a half hours. Two hours. An hour and a half. 30 minutes. Struggling to draw yet another breath so that he could hang upon the cross to pay for our debt. And finally, when the appointed time came and he had hung upon the cross for the time that God the Father had ordained so that we may be able to receive forgiveness, he cried out, it is finished. And gave up his life. The story doesn't end there, though, because though he gave up his life, he came back three days later to show that he has power over life and death. And it is by that death, burial, and resurrection that we can have access to the Father yet again, that our sins have been redeemed, that we have been made new, that as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are indeed a new creation, that we have been made new by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that I would submit to you that the only way we can find comfort and peace in the middle of our pain and heartbreak the only way in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, we can find hope is through acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come to seek and save the lost. That you and I have sinned and we need someone to pay for that debt. That we need someone like Jesus to forgive us of our sins and bring us into the family of God. That today we have opportunity to cry out to the Father for this. As the band comes back up, in the next few minutes, they're going to lead us in a time of worship, that we're going to sing of the greatness of God, that we have a living hope who is sitting on the throne even now, that Jesus Christ, his nail-scarred hands, his pierced for our transgressions and sins, he even now is on the throne, that he is our living hope. And that if you're here today and you have not acknowledged that you are in sin and that you need to be forgiven of your sin, that this is a day to cry out to that living hope that Jesus Christ, I need your forgiveness. Redeem me. Forgive me of my sin so that I may be a part of the family of God. That this is our opportunity to do so. Uh, Pastor Mike and I will be up here. We'll be here to receive you. If God is doing something in your life, we want to hear about it. Come speak to us. We will pray with you. We will counsel you. We will do whatever we need to do to point you to the things that God is doing in this world. But may I pray for you and we can continue in our time of worship. Would you bow your heads with me?
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the joy we have of celebrating your great name. That as we sing this next song, we recognize that we have a living, breathing Savior. That he defeated sin and death and that he now reigns on high. Father, this brings great news. This is good news for us. That for those of us that believe, we celebrate this yet another day. We are grateful for the grace and mercy you've shown us. For those here who have not trusted you, Jesus, this is their opportunity to do so. Father, would you call them forth? Would you let them respond to the good news that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost? And may we have opportunity to walk with them and guide them and celebrate what you're doing in their life. Father, we are grateful for the grace and mercy you've shown us. And we pray that as we sing this last song, that we could celebrate all that you mean to us. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.